Hi, folks. Today on Exposed, the Kalo podcast, we're going to be talking about some interesting stuff, boy. Wow. Listen, Ukraine and the Bidens. This is unfolding right before our very eyes. Uh, are there any real facts about corruption? You bet there is, man. You bet there is. And why are so many politicians so adamant about funding Ukraine? What is it about Ukraine? Why do they want to keep giving more and more money to Ukraine? We're also going to talk about that recent shooting over in Las Vegas at the university. And, and I always have this question, why is there no meaningful legislation, not about gun control? Why is there no meaningful legislation about helping those who are mentally challenged? Because the statistics show that the vast majority of all shootings are done by people that have serious issues, usually mental issues. And why is the Congress basically mute on this entire subject, not doing anything about it? And then we're going to get into McCarthy. Why is McCarthy leaving Congress? He was so strongly opposed to you know, being challenged, and he had this great resolve to help America. Um, why is he resigning from Congress? Did he get his marching orders, maybe, from the left? Or from the person actually controlling the strings? And I'm not talking about Biden, either. I'm talking about Obama. We're going to talk about this and so much more today on Exposed. So evidence seems to point to the fact that both the Democrats and the Republicans are corrupt. No new news to us. We already knew that. Now, of course, we know there are good people. Thank God. There are good people on the left, and there's probably good people on the right, <laughs> of course. There are good people, let's face it. In, 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 in all walks of business, in all walks, even in our government, there are good people. Problem is, uh, even good people can believe bad things. Now, the system itself, I think, has a little issue because it's designed for compromise. And compromise really is another way of saying, you know, I'll do for you if you do for me, or you give in in this area and I'm going to give in in that area. But what it leads to is it leads to a lot of other issues because compromise is always a door for potential corruption. And the stakes today, wow, nothing like it used to be. Nothing at all, mainly because we're talking about so much money that the average person can't possibly fathom the kind of wealth, the kind of temptation. And I have to admit, you know, I wouldn't want to be tempted with, you know, millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, like many of our politicians are on a daily basis. And I give those that stand firm on righteousness and justice and truth, I give them kudos because... It cannot be easy because today we're talking about bills that are in the billions of dollars and the fallout, nice word for corruption, the fallout from these bills um, can change the destiny of one's entire family for generations to come. We're talking about generational wealth here. And it's really all about you just, well, if you could just vote with me on this. I mean, just one decision for the right vote on the right topic and you change the destiny of your family forever? My, my friends, let's, let's be honest. That is temptation. But as American citizens, what can we do? 
What can you and I do? Well, number one, when someone does give in, when wrong does happen, wrong needs to be addressed. And you can't just, you know, slap wrong on the hand. Because if we become a nation that accepts doing wrong, then justice is gone. And America, one of our foundations, is justice. Truth, justice is the American way. So what can we do? Well, I, 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 I come up with this, and I really hope you'll, you'll, you'll understand that th this all flows together so, so amazingly. But the debates... Just recently, I want you to listen. I pulled out a couple of clips. We're going to listen to the first clip. Pay very close attention to everything that's said. It's a very short clip, but listen, here it is. I want to go back, though, to Nikki Haley's comment from earlier that she is somehow not responding to the will of these donors. Nikki, you were bankrupt when you left the U.N., after you left the U.N., you became a military contractor. You actually started joining service on the board of Boeing, whose back you scratched for a very long time, and then gave foreign multinational speeches like Hillary Clinton is. And now you're a multimillionaire. That math does not add up. It adds up to the fact that you are corrupt. And when I said they were bought and paid for, I meant the Republican establishment, not the Democratic establishment. Now you have Reid Hoffman, the person who's effectively George Soros Jr., funding lawsuits across this country against Donald Trump to keep him off the ballot, funding left-wing causes. We discovered this week that he is one of Nikki Haley's largest supporters. Larry Fink, the king of the woke industrial complex, the ESG movement, the CEO of BlackRock, the most powerful company in the world, now supporting Nikki Haley. And to say that doesn't affect her is false because it's after that meeting later that day that she says that every American needs to be doxxed by having their ID, their government-issued ID, tied to what they say on the internet. So I think that this is far more corrupt than I even imagined when I entered politics. That's a revealing clip, is it not? And, and it's sad that these kind of truths were never revealed like this in the past. Because let's face it, most candidates um, play the political game of covering each other. You know, in other words, I hit you once and you hit me once and you call me a few names. Oh, man, that was good. You call me a few names, you know, and then we go out for drinks. I mean, that, that's really what politics has been about. And there's nothing wrong about the essence of that unless, of course, you're really doing something vile, disruptive, illegal, wrong, hurtful to the nation. And I don't expose it. Or vice versa. Because, as I said, uh, truth, justice. These are important attributes to America. Most of what goes on in D.C. these days has really been nothing more than theater. And it's a highly choreographed presentation, all put on for the benefit of you and I, the American citizen. Just like the J6th, you know, uh, uh, a committee and all their hearings and the hearings on President Trump and 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 the impeachment here. They, it was nothing more than political theater. Why? Because they were just looking to get your vote for the next election because that's really all it's about. And I, for one, I don't believe any of what I see, any of what I hear any longer. I need to investigate it for myself to come to the conclusion. Now, I know what was shown in this clip seemed to be a little much. I mean, Vivek can be, he can be a little insulting. And that happening during a debate, well, 
you know, a lot of people don't, don't like that. They frown on it. But truth is truth. And this kind of truth was never brought out quite like this before. I mean, I admit it started with Trump. Um, and the media went ballistic when he did it. But now it seems like other candidates are beginning to realize there's something to that. And there is. There is. Because what are they doing? Exposing the truth. One of the reasons why we decided to name this show Exposed, the Kalo podcast, is because we want to expose things that are being hidden by mainstream media today and even by most media today. Sometimes it's all being hidden. One thing for sure, we can expect the deep state and all of those who are entrenched in politics to unleash the war machine, just as they did against Trump, just as they are doing against Trump, to unleash the war machine against people like Vivek. They're going to do it. They're going to do it against politicians. They're going to do it against you and I. And they are doing it against you and I. They're already releasing, you know, the IRS and other agents. And I mean, they're investigating, you know, Catholics and talking to priests and choir directors, you know, because they consider them to be, you know, potential terrorist threats. Uh, they talk to people on the far right. You know, people like myself and other men that I know around the nation who are far right or maybe preachers, whatever. Uh, sure, we're on the watch list. And all of this is because the left has weaponized the government uh, against their enemies or their political enemies. And none of this has really come to light uh, completely yet. Those of us on the right are aware of it, but there are many people who only watch CNN or MSNBC and they don't get their news anywhere else. And I'll tell you, if you just tune in to CNN, I did this morning for just maybe 15 minutes and I was I, I was getting angry and then nauseous listening to, oh, the numbers are so great on, on the, oh my God, the economy is just booming. It's been trucking along since 2020, 2021, 20. It's been trucking along. The economy is doing great. Biden is doing such a great job. Of course, they didn't mention the word Bidenomics anymore. But anyhow, they always look, they took the whole thing and twisted it around. This is what they do. So for instance, how exactly did Haley, Nikki Haley, how did she get so wealthy? If it wasn't for corruption, how did she get her wealth? I mean, she didn't own any businesses. She has no substantial investments according to her filings that she made. Um, all she had access to was insider information. Her access to the political machine, my friends, is the way she became wealthy. Let's face it, that's what it's all about. And that alone is sufficient to make you millions of dollars in the political arena, as long as you don't cross the line, as long as you don't bite the hand that feeds you, as long as you don't slap down the pol uh, political machine and what it does on a normal basis. And that, my friends, is what Trump had done, had done and is doing even till this day, and he refused to stop, and that's why they refused to stop persecuting him. Now, this next clip, okay, from the debate also, okay, listen, very short, here it is. So first of all, I think we just learned something from Chris Christie. We learned three things. We learned three things right there. First of all, Chris Christie also doesn't know what provinces in eastern Ukraine he actually wants us to fight for. Chris, your version of foreign policy experience 
was closing a bridge from New Jersey to New York. Yeah. So do everybody a favor. Just walk yeah. yourself off that stage. Enjoy a nice meal. Yeah. And get the hell out of this yeah, race. When it comes to Nikki, I think if you're going to actually send your sons and daughters while, to while go die in somebody else's voting. war. Well, you you better, excuse me, Chris. I'm speaking. And I'm not done yet. I haven't you had heard the time when you aren't we're going to be done. So listen up to this. Is If these people want to send your sons and daughters to go die in Ukraine, they've been arguing for it for a year. $200 billion of our taxpayer money sent over. Neither of them could even name for you the provinces that they actually want to protect. And this is the people who have been touting their so-called foreign policy experience. It is intellectual fraud. These people are lying to you. The same people who told you about weapons and mass destruction in Iraq to justify that invasion didn't know the first thing about it, yet they sent thousands of our sons and daughters to go die. The same people who told you the same in Afghanistan, where the Taliban is still in charge 20 years later. Seven trillion of our national debt due to these toxic neocons. See, you and I know that the politicians in charge have been lying to us, especially about Ukraine. We don't know, you know, we can't seem to grasp the whole thing. I've done a lot of investigating, so I've got a little more grasp on it maybe than some. But listen, Nikki Haley had no idea what Vivek was talking about. What 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 what, what areas of the country? What are you talking about? She didn't have a clue because he was talking about specifics. All she knew about was the big picture. Hey, this is a money laundering operation. I got to get my hands inside there. And sure enough, she did. All she knows is that Ukraine is one of the most corrupt nations in the world and that Ukraine is now a funnel okay, for a lot of U.S. dollars, most of which, okay, billions of dollars go there. Do you think it stays there? No, my friends. Do you think it all gets used on the war machine? No, my friends. That's why Zelensky has like homes all over the world. He has places to escape to when all this collapses eventually, which it's going to do. Listen, they send money out of their country on a regular basis. And don't tell me it doesn't come back to politicians because we got proof it's already coming back to the Biden family. So it is. Here's some facts about Ukraine. Ukraine has been at the forefront of the money laundering and political espionage since the early to mid-90s. So all of these billions of dollars being sent without oversight. Remember, there's no oversight in Ukraine. We don't have any oversight about the money that you and I are sending there. Our government has no oversight. So in other words, eventually when they do give us some you know, made-up response about what happened with the money, who do you think is going to give it? Zelensky? One of his team is going to write something, oh, here's where this money went, here's where that... You're going to be able to believe that? Of course not. It isn't going to be true. It's the perfect scheme for political graft. And what better way to hide money than to send it to a war-ravaged country controlled by left-wing autocrat? <laughs> I don't know. So we've got to put things in perspective. So back in 2003, under Bush... The Department of the Treasury and the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, it's called FinCEN, F-I-N-C-E-N, Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. They rescinded a designation that was placed on Ukraine a decade or so earlier as a primary money laundering concern. Okay, they rescinded that. But although the Treasury rescinded the designation and why they rescinded it is a whole nother show, a whole nother episode. OK, but we're going to see parts of it today. But although they rescinded the designation, the U.S. financial institutions were warned by the Treasury Department and FinCEN, 
They were warned, quote, that Ukraine remained on the non-cooperative countries and terrorist territories list of financial action task force. In other words, listen, they are they they're doing better in the way of corruption, but you still can't trust them. Okay, they remained on the non-cooperative countries and territories list. In other words, you still can't trust these guys. So starting in 2010, after the abomination and Biden got into office by all their nice talking and Obama's, you know, sweet swagger, uh, convincing uh, crazy millions of people to vote for him. After they got into office in 2010, Biden started having backdoor meetings with the leaders of Ukraine which led to the now indisputable facts, which I'm going to outline for you. Believe me, only an outline, because if I went through the entire thing, it would be hours, hours. And all of this is available on the web because our, you know, our Republicans that are investigating this have put it all out there on the web for you to be able to go and get it. In 2014, April 15th of 2014, Burisma, which is a Ukrainian energy company, they appoint Hunter Biden's business associate to their board of directors. Business associate. Um, what business was Hunter Biden in? Um, let's see. No business. What they did is they had a corporation, a shell company. You know, they were in partners together in a shell company. Okay. And Devin Archer talks about this. He admits it, you know. But anyhow, so they put Devin Archer, which is Hunter Biden's business associate, uh, they put him in as, on the board of directors. And shortly thereafter, they hire Hunter Biden as counsel. So as their, as their counsel, they meet together. But after the meeting with the owner of Burisma, her name is Mykola, Zolche, Jol, Mykola Zolchevsky. Mykola Zolchevsky. They met in Italy, Lake Como, Italy. Hunter was elevated to the board of directors in the spring of 2014. So now we got both Biden and Archer, okay, companions and business associates. They're each being paid $1 million a year for the positions on the board of directors to have, I think, six or eight meetings a year. Interesting. A <laughs> million dollars. In April, on April 22nd of 2014, the vice president Biden travels to Ukraine and gives an anti-corruption speech. <laughs> He gives he gives a speech on anti-corruption. Oh, this guy's got big ones, man. He gives a, a speech on anti-corruption. That that speech, I'm, I'm trying to find that speech, believe me, because it's going to go viral. This thing has got to go viral. He is amazing. He has been a liar for 50 years, caught plagiarizing, caught in lies time after time after time after time, makes up stories about things that he never did, about his family that never happened, and the Americans still believe this guy. Golly, it gets me so crazy. All right, here's a picture, okay? April 16th, 2015. This is at Cafe Milano in Washington, D.C. Vice President Joe Biden attended a dinner with Kareem Masovov, Vladin Pozarski, Hunter Biden, his son, Devin Archer, and others. Okay. On November 2nd of 2015, Vladim Pozarski suggests that they get a high-level U.S. official to come to Ukraine and pressure Shokin into firing Poroshenko. 
follow me now, Poroshenko is the guy who's investigating Burisma, which is the company that Hunter and Archer are on the board of directors. Okay, that's Amos Hotstein. Amos Hotstein, who on November 6th of 2015, he meets with Hunter Biden and discusses Burisma's troubles. On November 11th, just a week later, Amos Hotstein meets with Vice President Biden in the West Wing. Gee, I wonder how he got that meeting. <laughs> On November 12th, the following day, 2015, Amos Hotstein calls Hunter Biden. Gee, I wonder what they talked about. Could it have been what he and the, and the Vice President spoke about? On two days later, November 14th, 2015, Vladimir Porzarski emails Hunter Biden a confirmation that the vice president will be traveling to Ukraine. Now, listen to this video, okay? In this video, you've seen it. I'm sure you have, but listen to it. Here it is. I, I was, not I, I, but it just happened to be, that was the assignment I got. I, I, I got all the good ones. Uh, and uh, so I got Ukraine. And I was going, supposed to announce that there was another billion dollar loan guarantee. And I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. So they said they had. They were walking out to press conference. Said, "No, nah. I said I'm not going to. We're not going to give you the billion dollars." They said, "You have no authority. You're not the president." The president said, "I said call him." <laughs> I said, "I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars." I said, you're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> got fired. Biden brags about his meeting on December 7th, 2015, where he is demanding the prosecutor general Shokin be fired if Ukraine wants the $1 billion in international monetary fund loans because they're being guaranteed. And of course, you know who's doing the guarantee. This picture is December 9th of 2015. Vice President Biden gets a commitment from President Poroshenko that Prosecutor General Shokin will be fired. This is January 20th of 2016. Vice President Biden meets with President Poroshenko in Switzerland at the World Economic Forum. Here, he reinforces the linkage between loan guarantees and the necessary action that needs to be taken in order to get those loan guarantees. On February 4th, just a month later, 2016, Mayakola Zolchevsky gives Hunter Biden unspecified extravagant birthday gifts. Hmm, amazing. A week later, February 11th, 2016, Vice President Biden and President Poroshenko have a phone call together. February 16th of 2016, President Poroshenko asks Prosecutor General Shokin to resign. Two days later, Vice President Biden calls President Poroshenko to thank him for Prosecutor General Shokin's resignation. Biden wins. The guy's gone. The prosecution or investigation into his son is slammed shut. Fast forward to June 13th of 2020. Ukrainian law enforcement announces a $6 million bribery scheme by Mayakola Zolchevsky 
in order to end the probe into the Burisma company and its founder. Believe me, my friends, the money is amazing. The facts that are coming out, indisputable facts that are coming out, all proof, proof of money transfers, proof of wire transfers, all of this is there. Believe me, the facts are out there. And whether or not this actually leads anywhere or leads to anything, I don't, I don't know. I, like you, can only hope that justice is restored to America once again. Because if we do not see some... Look, we didn't see justice back when Hillary... Um, what did she do? She, she bleach-bitted her, 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 her servers... Uh, in other words, wiped out the hard drives. And when, and when she was confronted with it, you wiped out the hard drive. She goes, oh, what do you mean, with a rag? I mean, she was making fun of it because she knew she was protected all around. Nothing was going to come of it. She wasn't going to jail. She wasn't going to even get a slap. Nothing happened. And in this case, my friends, I fear to say the charges coming against Hunter Biden, they're not going to go anywhere. And even if they do, what do you think? Daddy's not going to, you know, let him off the hook before he leaves office, whether he's thrown out or whether he's, he's, of course, you know, he'll, he'll just, you know, issue what he needs to do and declare his son all done, finished. I, I don't know. And it is sad because without truth and justice, do we have an America? I'm not sure we do. We need truth and we need justice. And we can only hope somehow, somewhere, something changes along the lines. So speaking of justice, it was another shooting in uh, Las Vegas at the university there. And, and I asked myself the question, why, why don't we have any legislation about shootings? And, and I'm not talking about gun control legislation. I'm talking about legislation uh, to help those who are mentally challenged. Why don't we do anything to help those people who are obviously struggling? I mean, every shooter, think about every shooting that you could think of. You go back, there have been so many shootings. You go back and you look at the number of people, young and old, rich and poor, who just snapped. They had problems. People saw the problems. People in their family, co-workers, family members, friends, they saw that they had problems. They saw that they had troubles. These people own guns, and yet nothing happened because we don't have any meaningful legislation in place that will help people. Instead, all we seem to hear every time there's a shooting from the left, we hear we need stricter gun control measures. We need to ban assault weapons. And Unfortunately, even some people on the right are getting tired of it and they're beginning to cave. They're beginning to cave to the pressures of gun control. But the statistics are clear and they show that the vast majority of shootings are done by people who have mental issues. And if Congress, well, if Congress was serious, and, and, and I don't think they are, if they were serious about stopping gun violence, there are certain things that can be done that I believe, not all Americans, because there's always a crazy few, but most Americans will agree with uh, wholeheartedly. And, and some of these things, for instance, and, and this one might be controversial right now because of what's going on over there in the Middle East, but look at what the Israelis do with their school program. Okay, They use a particular way, uh, a program, uh, to deter shootings in their schools. And, and here's the facts. Okay, they have had six, six terrorist attacks against their schools, six shootings on Israel, 
in Israeli schools since 1974. Six. Six. And, and that's all because they have a program in place. They have layers of security. They have engagement with the, you know, with the society. They have engagement with the teachers. Compare that to America. 2,000 school shootings since 1970. Okay, four years. I couldn't find statistics to match exactly, but look, it's crazy. Six compared to 2,000. See, Israeli law requires a guard in schools for every 100 students or more that they have. These guards are generally employed by private security companies. In other words, they're not government-paid employees. Thank God. We don't need more government intervention. And the Israeli police have the overall responsibility of oversight and guidance uh, for the entire security system uh, from kindergarten all the way through university level. And there also are certain people in the schools that are in the school that uh, are, are, are able to carry firearms. Okay, They're, They have permits to carry firearms in the school system. So my question is, why can't we simply follow a similar program and institute a new law that will help deter all these school shootings and save countless lives? I don't get it. Why don't we do it? You know what the answer is? The answer is sad. But the answer is true because they don't want it. There is no appetite to solve this problem. And the reason why there's no appetite is because both on the left side of the aisle and the right side of the aisle and the center of the aisle, the entire place has been compromised. And how has it been compromised? It's easy. It's easy. They're all sold out to a one-world system. Now, I know there's, there's, there's some people that are not into it, okay? But in general, the majority of people on the left and a number of people on the right are very uh, sold out, very into the whole idea of more government control and eventually a one-world government system in order to control all things throughout the entire planet. <laughs> this is what they need. See, they need these, these levels of fear in society so that government can have more control over people, over individuals, over groups of individuals, so that these people or individuals or groups can't do anything about it. The government has to have control. If they lose control over the individual, the government has lost control and, and they, they, can't, they can't do what they want to do. And that's the battle that's raging right now. And it sounds... Almost unthinkable, but after me investigating the, um, the ideas behind their reasons for saying, well, we can't do this or we can't do that, their reasons don't make any sense. They, they, ha they have no solid basis for not doing it. The only basis is that the agenda, the one world agenda, has infected our entire government system and process. So I don't think any student should ever have to go to school in fear. And I don't think any parent should have to send their child to school not knowing whether they're going to come home. So schools need to have some means to implement security measures that work best for their students. And the only way that's going to happen if it starts on the local level. So there has to be local government. I don't even, I'm not even sure about state, but at least local government, beginning to take control over their local schools and support them for doing so. There needs to be people like you and I who raise up, come 
to the, the position and say, look, we got to do something about our schools. And we raise the level of concern. We raise the level of support till finally something is being done. See, I, I, I think that the problem is we think that the federal government has to do everything for us. But every time the federal government gets involved in our lives, they make it worse. They ruin it. What we need is the local governments to get involved in implementing programs that will protect our teachers and our students from the threat of a, sh uh, 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 of a shooter. And this can happen. I believe it can happen very easily and even quickly if strong leadership starts on the local level. Someone who doesn't have national aspirations. And that's the problem. See, because if you get someone who has national aspirations and they win on this issue locally, they lose. Okay, because their political history, their, their, their political possibility, their political future is dead. Not going to go anywhere. Why? Because the political machine won't allow it. So it's got to be someone who just simply uh, has the ability, has the desire, uh, has the platform to be able to take a stand locally and watch things happen. Because most legislation that has been introduced over the years from the left always includes gun control, more gun control, more restrictions on ownership of guns. And any legislation that the right has instituted doesn't have any of that. So there is no middle ground. There is no room for compromise. Gun control is like abortion. If you believe that life, that there's life at conception, there is no compromise. Where can you compromise? Because life is life. You can't compromise. So there's no middle ground. To meet in the middle on an important issue like gun control will never happen. Not in the way things are set up right now because there is no middle ground. There is no place for compromise on issues of this significance. Now, this recent shooting that happened in Nevada, uh, of course, it doesn't fall into the left's narrative. So you're not going to be hearing a lot about it because this guy was a uh, professor looking for a job there at the university. He was turned down for the job. And I guess that's the reason why he went ballistic off the wall. We don't know. But I highly doubt that this guy's background and his history is going to make front page news. I, 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 I highly doubt it. But Biden echoed his familiar call for Republicans to help reform gun laws. Okay, right after the shooting, this is what he said. Let me let me pull this up. Here's his words. Quote, Republican lawmakers must join with Democrats in Congress to ban assault weapons and high capacity magazines, to pass a national red flag law, enact universal background checks, require the safe storage of guns and advance other common sense measures that will help stem the tide of gun violence. The problem with this rhetoric is it's not all true. For instance, like to ban high-capacity magazines. Here's some facts. Congress mandated a study of the federal assault weapon ban. The study went from 1994 to 2004. And they found that the ban had no impact on crime, in part because the banned guns were never used in more than a small fraction of gun murders. In fact, rifles of any type are only used in 2% of all gun murders. 
Subsequent research conducted by the RAND Corporation found no conclusive evidence that banning assault weapons or large-capacity magazines has an effect on mass shootings or violent crime. You don't hear these statistics. You don't hear these facts. All you hear are the talking points. You don't hear that total violent crime and murder has fallen to near-historic lows, while at the same time, okay, uh, fire, the possession and the ownership of firearms and high-capacity magazines has risen to all-time highs. So there's no correlation. It doesn't exist. His second point, pass a national red flag law. Sounds so good. The so-called red flag law or emergency risk protection orders, okay, emergency risk protection orders, are designed to empower the government to confiscate Americans' firearms without due process of law. In other words, a family member gets mad at you, makes a report to the police station. Um, an ex-wife, an ex-husband, a, a, a person at work, somebody gets mad at you, makes a report. The government has the right under this law, should it pass, red flag law, to basically come and take your weapons and possessions without due process of law means you never get them back. All done, you have no recourse, you have nowhere to go. These laws do nothing more than enable the government to target those people whose political views are not theirs. So every time we have a different pol politician or political view in office, I mean, this is ridiculous. You cannot have that. There has to be equal justice under the law. Okay, the next one is enact universal background checks. Oh boy, it sounds so good. Why not? Why not background check everybody? Because the, the name of the legislation compared to what it asks for is completely different. Universal background legislation was designed to curb firearm ownership in America because it sets traps for the average American. In other words, you can do something firearm related um, and it could ban you from being able to ever own a gun ever again. It bans certain class of law-abiding adults from buying certain types of guns. Even anti-gun researchers have admitted that universal background checks are ineffective. Just the checks themselves, let alone the rest of the law. See, if they just passed a law that said, uh, clean, simple bill, okay, one line. Before anyone buys a gun, there has to be a universal background check that makes sure that they have no mental incapacity or inability to be able to make decisions in handling a weapon, period. End of story. Okay, of course, lawyers will complicate that rhetoric, okay? It'll turn into three pages of gobbledygook. But the point is, they don't make laws like that. Laws are tens of hundreds and sometimes thousands of pages where there are millions of loopholes where both the left can do things and the right can do things, so the law becomes ineffective. But basically, this law would make criminals out of law-abiding uh, gun owners. Simply for, okay, my son comes to me and says, Dad, we're going to the firing range. Uh, my, my gun, I'm having a problem with it. Trigger's not working properly. I, I, I brought it in to get repaired. Can I borrow yours to go, oh, sure, yeah, whatever. Okay, allowing my son to use my gun because it's my gun. He should not use it. And allowing my son to use my gun is against the law. <laughs> Why would that be in there? How about this one? Universal background checks are not universal. Why? Because criminals will never comply with legal requirements. Criminals do not walk into a gun store to buy a gun. Criminals buy them on the black market. 
Criminals buy them underground. Criminals do not buy guns legally. So, end of story. There was a bumper sticker back started in the late 60s. Very simple. Outlaw guns, only outlaws will have guns. And that, my friends, is a fact that has been proven over these past 50 years. The, the next point he made is require the safe storage of guns. <laughs> what is this all about? The NRA and all gun owners urge safe storage of guns. And every gun owner that I know is very protective about storage of their weapons and their guns and their ammunition. Why? Because they love their family. They love their friends and anybody who might visit their home. This is nothing more than just a talking point, okay, to try to convince the left that we're the crazy people. Unbelievable. So what's up with McCarthy? What's up with him leaving Congress? I don't get it. If McCarthy was this strong leader that we were led to believe, then why is he now resigning from Congress? I don't know, but you know when the deep state wants to get something done, they always use someone who's well-liked but yet still on the payroll. Someone who's still able to be controlled. Now, McCarthy's ouster came after there was months of infighting in the Republican Party, mainly from the far right. Okay, the far right of the GOP kept accusing McCarthy of trying to make deals, especially on funding with the Democrats. Matt Getz, who is a leader uh, on the right, um, he was basically at the forefront of all the recent culture wars and, and talking about that. Um, and at first, I wasn't sure what to think about what was happening and what Getz was trying to do or why. But after careful analysis, and watching those who were vocal about Getz's move, and then watching those who were supportive of McCarthy, it became crystal clear to me that McCarthy was most likely an insider answering to the marching orders of the real president. And I'm not talking about Biden. I'm talking about the puppet master himself, Barack Hussein Obama. Oh, I know that's not going to be a popular stand, but the politics of it are clear. Okay? These guys wouldn't leave such a lucrative position for nothing. There's a reason, and soon it's going to become obvious. He just announced his retirement from Congress. Now, just watch what happens. You know, it could be as early as December, but watch what happens in January or the first quarter of 2024. Um, I believe we're going to see him moving into a position in the corporate world somewhere, most likely, okay? And that's going to be the proof that we need. That was the payoff. It's all coming about, my friends. Watch what's happening in the news. Keep abreast of what's going on in the Biden scandal, because let me tell you, this is going somewhere. Now, I don't know if it's ever going to get to the place where the guy is actually impeached or actually removed from office. I don't know if he's going to run for office in 2024 or whether they're going to replace him or somehow at the convention. There's a lot of things happening, and it's happening because there's being a lot of pressure being applied from the right. You and I need to keep applying pressure to our local politicians, our state politicians, our federal politicians so that we can be in control of what's going on. No longer should we allow them to control our destiny and our future. Listen, I hope you like today's show. 
If you do, would you please give us a rating wherever you're getting your podcasts. Go there and write a review for us. Go to YouTube, subscribe to our channel, okay, please, and, and give me a review on there. Tell your family, tell your friends about us. Heck, tell your enemies. I say it all the time. They need it more than we do. Thanks for watching Exposed, the Kalo podcast. I'm Michael Kalo. God bless you, and God bless America.